Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. What a great, great opportunity we have to join 2.5 billion people around the globe on this day in caves, in homes, in underground churches, in the highest of cathedrals, online, over social networks to declare Jesus has risen. He's risen. He's risen. In a world so drenched with pessimism and cynicism and paralysis, the message of Jesus and the gospel and the hope of his resurrection rings louder. Amen? And so, so glad you're here. All across the world, people are declaring today the most unbelievable reality that God has stepped into human history. He has walked among us. He took on flesh and blood. He gave his life for us. He was crucified on a Friday, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And listen, for the last 2,000 years, people have been greeting each other all over the world, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every day. In fact, every Sunday, they would greet each other with these words. First person would say, He is risen. And the other person to which that reality was substantial would respond, He is risen indeed. Let's do it together. He is risen. Let's do it again. He is risen. I want to talk to you today about the most astonishing truth that we could ever wrap our brains around. That God has stepped into human history and brought us life. Life. And that in that moment, on that first resurrection morn, when Jesus conquered death, that was never intended by God to be a singular moment. It was meant to be repeated. Every single day since that moment, men and women who have put their faith in Jesus and trust in Christ, they have found that they too have stepped into that same resurrection life. Preached a message several Easter's ago called Fractal, the Fractal of Easter, that this is repeated again and again. If you didn't receive a message card upon your entrance, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers would serve you. Uh, If you didn't get one, awesome. Yeah, just leave your hand up just for a moment. Uh, I'm not seeing an usher. Uh, just leave it up, just one second, we'll, we'll, they'll step back in, alright, but uh, Luke chapter 24, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 24, you'll see it on the screens as well, Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed. Okay, with clothes that gleamed like lightning, white, stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember, women, how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8. This to me is fascinating. Then they remembered his words. Now this was after three days from the time Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on a Friday. Shabbat, Shabbat, Sabbath would start Friday at sundown. He was placed in the borrowed tomb of a very rich man, Joseph of Amarathia. 
Now, sometimes it's really hard when you know the end of the story to remember what it must have felt like when you were in the story. What would it have felt like to be present that day? But these men and women had followed Jesus Christ for the last three years of their life. They had placed all of their trust in Him. They had given up homes. They had given up families. They had given up family businesses to follow this renegade, this revolutionary, if you will, this Jesus. They had believed wholeheartedly He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Anointed One. He was the Savior of the world. He was who He declared Himself to be. And all of that hope was crushed in one moment. All of that hope was dashed. When he was hanging on the cross, all of their dreams of a better life, all of their dreams of a better world were gone. And three days had passed and Jesus was still in the tomb. Now, you know the drill. The Bible says in the text you and I just read, the women brought spices. They were going to visit dead things. They were going to honor a body. They were going to anoint a body to pay last respects These women went to the tomb where Jesus was buried, not expecting for the tomb to be empty. These women were not expecting for the story to change. These women weren't going looking for hope to be restored. These women were not going that morning with an understanding that Jesus would get out of the grave. These women went that morning to visit a dead body. These women went that morning to visit the Son of God who had given His life. They were not expecting for somehow that Jesus would have conquered death and been alive again. They went there to pay their last respects. They loved Him and they honored Him. They went there that because even though He couldn't keep up His end of the deal, even though He couldn't do what He said He would do, which is save Himself, even though He, even though he had maybe exaggerated a little bit in his words and taken them too far, they still wanted to honor him. They still wanted to give him respect. They still wanted to show love to his body. (laughs) Little did they know what was about to happen. Now, when they approach the garden area, they walk into the garden area, and can you imagine what would have been like? The stone was rolled away, and the Bible says that these women walked into the tomb with No doubt apprehension. And they walked in with doubt. And they walked in with confusion. And suddenly, two men with gleaming in white light. right? These clothing. This is two angels that asked them the question. Why, women, do you look for the living among the dead? Now, church, let's don't beat these women up for a moment. That question can only make sense after the fact. That question makes no sense on resurrection morning. Absolutely no sense at all. They were not looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. I don't know if you know this or not, but you look for the dead people among where dead people are laying. That is one of the consistencies that death brings. That you are dead once and you remain dead. My wife has lost her father in the last few weeks and he is dead. His body is in the grave. That's the consistency of death. You don't move again. You don't come back and love your family again. You don't reach out with arms again. Death has a consistency. It is once and for all, you are dead. You're dead. You look for the living 
among the living, but you look for the dead among the dead. Yet Jesus was not among the dead. He was resurrected. Now, in our Western world, there is an all-out assault against the doctrines that we hold so dear. For instance, the doctrine of the resurrection. Do you know the doctrine of the resurrection is not a suggestion. It's a fact. And it is a fact in three ways. Next slide. It's a fact, number one, of history. There is still an empty tomb to this day. Not only is it a fact of history, it's a fact of theology. Meaning there was an angelic testimony. He's not here. Coming from the very mouths of angels. And it's also a fact of legality. Because it was proven and declared among a multitude of witnesses. Jesus, what I find so interesting in this passage is that the declaration that these women were looking in the wrong place for Jesus. Because they had the wrong understanding of Jesus. They thought that Jesus was dead. Now, lest we jump to any conclusion, folks, that was the only reasonable conclusion. The only reasonable conclusion for a man that's bled out on a Friday and has been crucified and is lifeless is that he would still be wherever his body had been lain. The angels make an astonishing statement. You're looking for the living among the dead. In other words, women, you don't understand the reality of what has happened. Now, I want you to juxtapose their response to three days earlier. So the disciples and the women, they had this understanding that Jesus would be the dead among the dead. But there was a man three days earlier, a thief, that saw something different. Now, on the day Jesus was crucified, two thieves were crucified on either side of him. One was a mocker. One mocked Jesus and said, hey, this man, you know, if you can save yourself, save us. Perform a trick. Get us down from the cross. And another man, in that moment, looked at the Son of God and he realized, this is a just man, an innocent man. And he said to his other fellow thief, you hush your mouth. We are receiving rightly what is just in our name. But this man is, an unju- I mean, this man is a just man. He's not receiving justice. And he looks at our king and our lord and he says, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So next slide, somehow, some way, the thief on the cross realized and recognized Jesus was more than just a suffering servant. He was actually a sovereign king. And unlike the women at the tomb that morning, unlike the disciples who had gone back to their old life, they, that thief that day hanging next to Jesus realized that his nakedness would soon be clothed in royal robes. That man somehow had an awareness. Somehow the Lord of glory opened his eyes to realize that the crown of thrones on his head would be a crown of God in just a few hours. To realize that the person who's there on the cross would no longer be on a cross in just a few moments. He would actually be on a majestic throne. But if you think about that in terms of these women, these women don't believe that. They're looking for a dead man among dead people. I want to focus there today. I want to talk about the living. The living. Can I ask you a question? Where do you find the living? Where do you find the living? Why do you look? For the living among the dead, the angels said, he's not here, he has risen. And then the angels remind them of the foreshadowing Jesus gave them. Remember, the angels tell the women, do you remember the combos he had with you? He had conversations with you that he would be crucified, he would die, he would be buried, and on the third day he would be raised again. But they could not understand his words. And verse 8 of Luke chapter 24 just floors me because it says, Then they remembered his words. Now listen, that from Dr. Luke is not a statement so much as saying that they, they had forgotten his words. 
That's a statement declaring to us and to all that are around that they had never really understood his words. They didn't have a, they didn't have a perception or a mind or a history or a precedent to understand what Jesus was saying. Listen, when Jesus was on the earth, what he said to them was so incomprehensible it seemed like magic. They, they didn't understand the words that I, Jesus would say, I would be crucified, but on the third day I would live again. So what he told them never really settled in. They didn't have a category to understand Jesus saying, I'm going to be raised to newness of life. Y'all, there's no history for that. There's no precedent for that. There's no model for that. They don't have the capacity to understand that statement. But now it begins to make sense. Are you with me? Now it on resurrection morning is beginning to make sense. Now we are the same way. We don't understand the words. We don't understand why death hits us premature. We don't understand why death is a part of the human experience. We have no capacity, no understanding for that reality. But now on Easter morning it's beginning to click. I mean the I's are being dotted. The T's are being crossed. And Jesus was not among the dead because Jesus... Was the living. He would say in John chapter 11. To a troubled Mary and Martha. When their younger brother Lazarus had died. And he would say to them. I am the resurrection and the life. Now I want to throw out a possibility church. Are you ready? Just, just follow a moment. Jesus wasn't just among the living after the third day. Jesus was the living. Even while he walked among us. But watch this. Here they are looking for the living among the dead. But before his crucifixion, they would have been looking for the living among the walking dead. Among those who existed but didn't live. Among Craig Mosgrove in 2001 who had oxygen and a heart beating but had never really lived. They would have seen Jesus and searched for the living among walking dead people. Among people who had, like you and I, had existed. But in comparison to Jesus, we don't have what Jesus had. We are existing, but we are not living. But Jesus was resurrected. Now hear me, hear me. Because when we grow up in church, we hear sermons that, that somehow Jesus was in the tomb and, and, and resident in his body was this potential for resurrection. That is theological heresy. Resurrection does not emerge from possibilities which are sleeping inside of a corpse. When you are dead, possibilities are done. Potential is gone. There is no potential anymore. It is dead. Yet resurrection shows up and says, this is not the end. Resurrection is not a... It's calling from beyond. And Jesus was vindicated by the voice of the Father, by declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit of holiness. Resurrection life came from the Father. But He came to make us the living again. Jesus came to make us the living. If you go back to the beginning of the human story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God created humanity... After he had created all the universe and all the expanse, the immense expanse that we now know, and he created all the galaxies and the stars. And then God created the dark matter, and he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created the dark energies. And then after that, he created a planet. And then on the planet, he created trees and life. And then he created seas in which the living things would swim and teem. And then he created animals that would walk upon the ground. 
And then God decides to create humanity. But when God created us, he chose, if I can say it this way, a slightly different technique with us. Everything else would declare his glory, but would not be made in his image. He said, I'm going to do something different with this artwork. I'm going to create the apex of my creation in my own likeness. I'm going to make humans like me. I'm going to create them in my own image. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now listen, sometimes we think that words in Scripture are incidental, but whenever God leaves us a word, that word has a picture. The Bible says he breathed into us life, not just breath. He did not just breathe into Adam oxygen. He breathed life into humanity. This is who we were intended to be. Listen, church, this is the essence of our creation. We have always been intended by God to be living beings. We've never been intended by God to have anything less than fullness of life. Then it tells us, of course, that when humanity severed its relationship with God, in a sense, can I say it this way? We had the breath knocked out of us. We had the life knocked out of us. And though we still existed, we lost our breath. Folks, we lost our life in Genesis 2. We lost... That which animates us. So listen to me. Every breath we take in this life is a shadow of the breath we lost in Genesis 2. And as we move through this life, we move from our first breath to our last breath. And it only foreshadows the one breath that we long to take, which is the breath that gives us life. We're living right now through ha- perhaps our generation's largest, greatest crisis. A global pandemic with the spread of COVID-19 across the world. I personally have lost three people that I know fairly closely, two of them really, really close, just in the last five, six weeks. We're living through a rate of infection that was very concerning in the beginning. We have all had the tragic and reality of people that we've known have passed prematurely. People that we love are dead. And for all of us, I I don't know if we could have imagined that a virus could begin in one nation, in one city, with person zero and spread from lung to lung Person to person, heart to heart, throat to throat, and span the globe so quickly. And to imagine that something could spread across all of humanity would have seemed last January almost superstitious. It would have seemed, if you will, a a bit like magic. Now we simply know a year plus into this that that's just simply something called viral. And as a pastor, I've been asked these questions over and over again. And they're very serious questions and they demand very serious realities. People say, how can there be a God? How can we believe in a God that would allow this widespread suffering? People asking, honestly, hurting, hemorrhaging people. How could 
God allow premature death to someone we love? How, if God is a God who hears prayer, would God allow seemingly so many believers, not just the unjust, but so many believers, die of COVID-19? And one of the things that stands out to me so much is that when we think of life as being cut short, when we find death unexpectedly, when death touches our families unexpectedly, we in that moment forget, ironically, God sees every life as cut short. And it has just absolutely exploded in my heart and mind. God looks at every life as being cut short. See, God never created us to die. God created us to live. God did not create us for death. That's why it's so unnatural. He created us for life. And what it takes is a global pandemic for people to become aware of the reality of death and the fragility of life and the temporary nature of our existence. Watch this, watch this. Ironically, we become angry with God when someone dies prematurely and we become aware of the temporal nature of this life when in reality it's always been God trying to move us out of our temporary existence into eternal transcendence. So the thing that is meant To awaken us to the reality that God's already trying to get us to understand. You're not made to die. Is the very thing that causes us to get angry at God. Listen to these words in John chapter 1 verse 3. Through him all Jesus things were made. When without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In Christ was life. And that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What the scriptures are telling us is that Jesus doesn't simply give us life. Jesus doesn't simply bring us life. It's that Jesus is the life our souls are searching for. In him was life, and the life was the light of all humanity. When Jesus walked among us, we saw life being fully lived, folks. When Jesus walked among us, we saw the first human being living fully alive. And in the same way, watch this, you can trace a pandemic all the way down to China to person zero. You can trace this movement of life called Christianity all the way back to person zero and his name is Jesus. And long before any pandemic made a vile reality, we could look at the movement of life going from lung to lung, heart to heart, person to person, family to family, all the way back to Jerusalem and Golgotha and the garden. When the Son of God got up out of the grave, He came to give us life. He is the life. And the only way his life could be given to us, that life could be passed on to us, was through his death. He had to be expunged. He had to be sacrificed so that through his death we might be living. First John chapter 1. We read John chapter 1. Look at First John chapter 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've, we've looked at, our hands have touched his body. This we proclaim, John says, concerning the word of life. Watch this. The life appeared, Jesus appeared, we have seen it, we've testified to it, and we proclaim to you not just the life that appeared, but eternal life. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is Trinitarian. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. 
We write this, John says, to make our joy complete. What was John trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that those that lived saw life right in front of them. They listened to life's lips. Life's hands were stuck between their grimy toes three days prior. They watched life walk with his feet. They saw and touched life. And in the most unexpected but glorious ways, life was crucified before them. But death could not conquer life. Death could not hold down life. Hear me, church, hear me. When we are afraid to die, it is just our soul reminding us we were never created to be temporary. You were never created to die. Jesus, we are told, was not only the life, but First John says we proclaim to you eternal life. But here's the beautiful thing about life, is that life is never ending. Life never stops. <laughs> life is eternal. Hear me. Once you move from death to life, that life is who you are even beyond death. Life for the believer is life now and life at death and life in the future. Life. I've had so many people over the years who are atheists and agnostics who are uncertain about the existence of God, and they ask the question, Craig, how, how, can, you, how can you have confidence about life after death? Have you ever been asked that question before? So, so it's worded in different ways. Is there any proof, I hear, of life after death? People say, how can you have certainty about life after death? And my answer, church, has always been the same. The only proof of life after death is life before death. Of course, if all you do is exist for 77 years, when you die, you will have a hard time believing that life exists on the other side. If all you've ever done is have an empty shell of a human expression of the Imago Dei that you were created in and you've never really lived, but you've only breathed and walked this earth and never really, really lived, you've only existed, of course, you're going to doubt that there's life, no life after death. But the only real proof of life after death is that there's life before death. Let me tell you what Woodstock does not need to hear. They don't need to hear any more preaching about life after death if it's not coming from people whose lips of people who are living before death. Life. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's, he's not here. He's risen. What we are facing in this moment of global crisis is the reality of the temporal nature of this life. And when we are terrified of our extinction, we become angry with God. And we don't realize all along it has been God that's been trying to solve the human problem long before COVID-19 ever hit this planet. God has always been trying to convince us that we are existing, but we are not living. Do you know what God wants to, wants to convince America of today? You're not living 
beautiful has COVID-19 helped us out in that reality? You're just breathing and existing, but you're not living. You're not living. And that's why Jesus calls us to himself. Why does he call him to himself? Because life is in him, and in that relationship with him, we finally come alive. It's so fascinating to me that even in the book of Deuteronomy, we're talking about the law of Moses, there is a picture of this battle between life and death. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm going to read verse 15 and 16 and then 19 and 20. God speaking to Moses, see I've set before you, God said, today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today, watch this, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you'll live in increase. And the Lord your God will bless you. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. God said, I have set before you. Here's your choice. I've set before you life and death. I've set before you blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life, dwelling place. Choose life. That your children may, what? Live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. Watch this. For the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reality is, is that we live in this space and time and history that we all live and die. And each one of us in this room will take our first breath. We've already done that. And we will one day take our last breath. And to me, what is so telling is that we will hold on to existence out of fear of death. And yet we resist to let go of existence that we may risk to find true life. Real living. So we do everything we can. And we should. The CDC, we should to try to preserve our existence. When God offers us life. Life not here, but life here and there. Life eternal. God says, I set before you a choice. The choice God is making available to us is the opportunity to live God wants to give us life, y'all, and hope in the middle of this mess. God wants to give us joy in the midst of despair. God wants to give us strength in the midst of our weakness. God wants to bring joy in the middle of our sorrow. He wants to give us a future in the middle of our tears. God wants to step into our time and make us the living. He wants us to live again. So instead of trying to figure out how to just survive this life, maybe it's time for us to decide to live. Maybe it's for a, a time, instead of living paralyzed by fear that this circumstance might be the end of you, or the next one, or the next circumstance will be the end of you, or the next circumstance will be the end of the family you love, or the next circumstance will be the end of the ones you care about. Maybe we should stop trying to Spend all of our energies to exist and start trusting in Jesus and living. God has given us a beautiful solution to the human dilemma. Church, in our fear of extinction, God offers us transcendence. Life beyond the grave. Meaning beyond the natural moments we have. In our fear of our end date... God is offering an eternal timeline. 
And instead of waiting for death to be the end of our story, God is inviting us today to step into life so that death is just a comma. Death is just a parenthesis. Death is just a little period, if you will. But it's not defining of our whole story. So in Luke 24, the women come to the tomb looking with spices to anoint the body of Jesus. The tomb is rolled away. And two men that flash like lightning ask the question, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Jesus says over this church this morning, If you want to find me, don't look among the dead. Because I'm among the living. If you want to find Jesus, those streaming live today, if you want to find Jesus, don't look among the dead because he is among the living. Look at me, church. If we go looking for you right now, where will we find you? Among the living or among the dead? In the Gospel of John, my favorite gospel, the first words spoken by Jesus are, what are you seeking? In the exact same gospel, the first words spoken by Jesus after a resurrection are, whom are you seeking? Why? Because we're all seeking. All of America and every nation is seeking to find rest. They're going to and fro, running to and fro as fast as they can. To try to feel what Blaise Pascal called the God-shaped hole. And until our hearts find rest in him, we will never find rest. We're all seeking and Jesus knows it. The good news is that in Easter, in Good Friday, it's not just humans seeking God. We see that God actually first sought us. And if you're already among the living, hear me believers. For the believers in the room... We should hear on this resurrection morning the impulse, the mission motive to go share this life with others. Amen? Life is so short. Life is so short. We need to share this life with other people. Now, if you're an evangelist in the room or have that evangelism te technique desire, let your ears perk up for a moment. Let me share with you. Many of us in our day and age, we're very familiar with what we call the two-step approach uh, or process of evangelism. Where what you do is you take an atheist and you try to convince them to become a theist. And then once you get them to become a theist, then they can become a Christian. Now, I'm not knocking this. This has been used uh, by many famous Christians in history. C.S. Lewis being one of them. C.S. Lewis say, people say, C.S. Lewis became a Christian. No, he didn't. He was an atheist that became a theist that then became a Christian. And so oftentimes what we do is we try to get people who don't believe in a God just to believe in a God. To then say, hey, now we're going to try to work you down and convince you that Jesus is the only God. But listen... I want to say to you that in our day and age, perhaps in our day and age, the goal is not to convert people from atheism to theism. The goal is not to get an agnostic at your workplace to say, hey, why don't you start with just a belief about God and then we can have a conversation today. You know why? You know why you don't want to start a conversation with somebody just about a belief in God? Because the belief in God is going to raise all kinds of other questions like, well, why do I need a God? Well, is there's a God? Why is there not this kind of God? And, and what about that? And what comes of that? I want to say to you what Paul does and what I think Jesus lays out for us is that Paul actually starts with the resurrected Jesus. Listen, if you start with Jesus in your conversations with other people and you say, this person who 
died on a Roman cross, and on the third day God raised him from the dead. If the resurrection is real, work your way out from there. In other words, listen, don't start with your generic view of God in America, in this post-Christian nation. Start with this whatever sort of generic theistic view of God that the man upstairs or the big guy upstairs, and then what are we? whatever general view of God, we try to argue them down to get to Jesus. Listen, listen, what I'm saying to us this morning is I'm not interested in convincing people to general views of God. I'm interested in people confessing Jesus as the Lord of all. And Paul says to us as believers, let's start with the Son of God. If Jesus reveals what God is like, how does that change the game for you this resurrection morning? If Jesus really reveals what God is like, how does that change your doubts for you this morning? How does that change your questions about existence and about death and about supernatural realities? How does it change the game for you if you start there? And then work yourself. Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. And folks, as I was reading this week, it just hit me. Hit me. After the resurrection, Jesus does not go on the Sermon on the Mount and make a public declaration of his resurrection. I would have done that, y'all. You know what Jesus is doing? He's searching after his friends because Jesus is not interested in public announcements. He's interested in personal encounters. Oh, dear Jesus, this morning I I have prayed with my face in the carpet. I don't know how it's to pray. I don't know how it's to fast, how it's to believe. I pray that every person in this room, you literally walk on the same ground today as the resurrected glory beaming from his body, son of God. Oh, this is what makes Christian ministry so difficult. You want so badly for people to have a personal encounter, not a public realization. A personal encounter, not a sleepy encounter that, oh, somebody brought me to church because it's Easter. No, 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 no. That God in heaven would somehow open your eyes and open your heart to an encounter personally with the resurrected, glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. It'll change you. It'll change everything about you. From the depth of your soul to the outworking of your salvation, everything will be transformed. Jesus wants personal encounters. There is no expiration date on your soul. Come on, Jesse. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Life took on flesh and blood. Eternal life stepped into time and space. Life without ending allowed himself to be ended. So that we don't have to end. And it was never meant to be one single resurrection. So that we can be the living. I am a son of God. I am a child of God. I don't know how. I don't know how to adequately express. My love and gratitude for my king Jesus. And our world and our churches are so bent on making minor things major. And I hear the clarion call of God almighty to keep our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and the finisher of our faith, the world. The world looked like this today and the world will look like this tomorrow after your opinion is shared. Your opinion doesn't matter. The glorious gospel declares over my life, over your life, and over this world, stop existing. I've come to make you the living. The living the true living to have life and life more abundantly not living out there but living right now maybe the next step for you today is what God says I've set before you life and death I want you to choose life the good news is we now know life's name his name is Jesus his name is Jesus for eternity life everlasting we'll be praising him we'll be honoring him we'll be adoring him we'll be giving him glory you know when I think of eternity I think of just the short temporal nature of our existence right when you think of this rope just imagine just for a moment this rope actually actually does not end at the end of the stage. This rope, let's, let's imagine it's eternal. It's everlasting. It spans the globe two times, three times. Now imagine with me for a moment. This rope is actually a timeline of your existence. You'll exist eternally in heaven or hell, one of two locations. This orange is your time on earth that's all you got all I have now, now what boggles my mind is that everything we do here determines how we spend all of here Now, what also boggles my mind is that the majority of Americans only think 99% of the day about what is orange. That's all they think about. And then in America, because we like this, we say, hey, work really, really hard, work hard, save up all kinds of money so you can really enjoy. See this little right here? You want to really enjoy this. And then they look at people who are giving their money to the kingdom and they're saying, what are you doing wasting that money so you don't enjoy? What are you doing saving up that money for just this enjoying? What I'm doing with my money here is going to play out here. And Paul said, I got one thing in mind. I, I'm looking for that moment when I'll see him face to face. Meredith's father, just, just a few weeks ago, was right here in our lobby. January 30 celebrating our young boy's 11th birthday and 14 days later he's here odds are someone listening today someone here, someone streaming you will be in here next Resurrection Sunday
life everlasting. Today I sit before you, dead in the fire. Choose life. Dwelling place, from the bottom of my heart, I want to challenge you today. Choose life. Choose life. In every area of existence, choose life. Choose Jesus. He's better. Jesus is better. He's better. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.